real treat. Um, I'm not preaching, so that may be a treat for some of you. I'm kidding. Uh, <clears throat> no, but we do have a treat. Uh, Mark McDonald and his wife Donna are here. Uh, they serve in the Ukraine in Kiev. Um, and how long have you been there now, Mark? 17 years. 17 years, yeah. And 17 years serving in Kiev. So I threw my little, uh, a little bit of Russian at him, and which is sometimes close. This morning, my, my, I have about, you know, 15 Russian uh, phrases after being over there nine times. That's about all I have retained. <laughs> um, but uh, he was gracious to respond in Russian to me, and I, to one word, I, one of the other words I understood. Um, but I'm trying to think, Mark, when we first met, what, how many years ago has that been? Six or seven, maybe? Seven? Yeah, maybe eight years, eight years ago. And uh, we met through a mutual friend, and we, through that whole year they were here, we met at Panera Bread, mostly in uh, Pearland, and, and Mark attempted to help me with my Greek, and uh, um, uh, you great teacher, Mark, great teacher. The student was the problem, yes. Um, uh, but we, we met, and we just got to know each other, and then began to hear more about what he was doing in Kiev, and, and uh, had some mutual friends some, for, for, through some other ministry, and friends of friends of friends, and, and just was excited about what was going on in Kiev. And, um, and kind of at the same time, that was when the Lord was in, embarking me on these many journeys to Russia. So I just had an interest in the area, and we began to hear what God was doing, and our church uh, picked them up and been supporting them for about eight years now, and God's been doing some great things over there. And uh, I know I'll let him kind of give you an update a little bit what's going on in Kiev before he preaches, and also update on his children um, who have grown uh, over those eight years. And now they're only going to, at this time, only going to take one of them back to, Ki to, to, to the Ukraine with them. The other three will be here in school. Two of them already been here in the United States, and the, 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 their third one will be starting at, at, at Houston Baptist, actually. Um, uh, so we're glad to have them this morning. Uh, Mark is a, a, not only a, a, um, a gifted key, uh, communicator to seminary students he teaches in Kiev and with those that are um, some other ministry they do there as well, but he's also a gifted communicator to the Word of God. And that's why I've asked him to come also to preach for us this morning. So Mark, would you come and give us an update and uh, then also uh, um, bring the Word. y'all so much. Yeah, it's been challenging giving up our kids. I tend to want to say this is not the reason we had them, to get rid of them. <laughs> and they keep leaving. <laughs> but praise the Lord, they're just growing up and this is us there. Uh, um, this is our youngest daughter, Abigail. She'll begin um, uh, high school this year, so we're just very thankful. But yeah, I just want to thank you so much. Um, Thank you, uh, Jared, and the music team for the songs. This is one of the challenges of coming back every couple of years. A lot of new songs <laughs> that we need to learn. But I guess one of the things that really strikes me is uh, in a lot of the different churches, the choruses that people are singing, they're a lot more weighty. Obviously, we're putting a lot more emphasis on the lyrics nowadays. And I tend to want to say, I, um, if you haven't seen that song very much or, or just haven't sung it very much, go back and look at the words. There is something there worth thinking about. There are some very, just good ideas. I think a lot of deep theology there. I'm very thankful for that. One of the criticisms about a lot of the choruses was that they're, they could be very shallow. I think we're resolving that problem. Wow, and it's exciting to see. Well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Ukraine, what we're doing. Just very thankful for your support, uh, Brian, and all of you at this church. You're not just gathering here for, because you all somehow, this is a fun thing to do on Sunday morning. 
you have a purpose, you have a mission, and it's obvious that you have a heart for this community. You have a heart for one another to honor the Lord and see the Lord Jesus glorified in what's happening. And the wonderful thing is your desire, like many churches, is to not only impact this community but the entire world. And we are very thankful that you have partnered with us to allow us to be your representatives in Ukraine. So it's not so much a matter of what I'm going to talk about. It's not so much a matter of what we are, uh, Donna and I are doing in Ukraine, but what all of us are doing in Ukraine, in Ukraine. We are your representatives there, and we're very honored and thankful for the privilege to be able to do that. Well, Ukraine is a country and uh, that is not Russia, <laughs> although it seemed, it's interesting, a number of churches we go to, and they'll introduce me as we're serving in Russia, and if you are aware of any of the history of what's going on right now, I, under my breath, always mutter, not yet, <laughs> not if we can help it, <laughs> but the last two years have been very if you've seen some of the news items, and sometimes you kind of see news go away, and so you think, well, the problem is resolved. Well, no, it's just not as interesting anymore. And there are other things that are more popular or whatever, but Ukraine is located in Eastern Europe, and I'm just going to do this very quickly. This gives you a sense. Here we moved Ukraine over to Ohio, and it's in the Midwest now. But I wanted to give you a sense of about how big it is compared to everything else. It's actually a little smaller than Texas. <clears throat> and a couple of years ago, in November of 2013, there were protests. And uh, in response to the protests, the police began doing some terrible things, and a lot of people died. And the center of town uh, was burned. They just, um, a lot of conflict. And it was very difficult. Uh, there were, and all this time, we're trying to minister in our church. We're also holding uh, seminary classes, and the number of times we would meet together to say, okay, is, should we leave? And a number of missionaries did. Uh, we also were trying to figure out, should we continue to hold seminary classes during these uh, protests when so many things were going crazy, and we sometimes had difficulty keeping some of our students in school. They tended to want to go downtown and be involved. And there was, a, in addition to all of these things that were happening, there, believe it or not, was a prayer tent where people would gather for prayer. And we were able to go a number of times there, and the students would go there also, just praying for the country, trying to figure out what was happening. The big issue is Ukraine is trying to decide which way it wants to go. Does it want to be close to Russia? Or does it want to be close to the European Union? And there's a lot of division. There's a lot of uncertainty as to what's going on. And that conflict continues even today. Uh, here are my youngest two daughters. We, after a lot of the fire and a lot of different things settled down, we went down just to see what was going on. I have a love of history. And when you see history happening, it's very difficult not to participate, not to want to see what's going on. So uh, we went down. Now, right now, there is war in Ukraine. It's mainly in the eastern part of Ukraine. Uh, the southern part, Crimea, was taken over by Russia. And now in the east, uh, in that dark yellow part, uh, that's where the, the war is happening. So right now, as we speak, there is cannon fire. There is there rifle fire. People are being uh, shot. They're fighting with one another. And one of the, more, one of the things that also concerns us uh, is that the evangelical church is being persecuted. Russian orthodoxy is trying to establish 
uh, total dominance in the region and so a number of evangelical churches have been closed they become occupied by the army the rebel army also they've been burned and just destroyed a number of evangelical pastors Baptist pastors have been killed um, and this is a memorial to some of them <clears throat> and so there is very active persecution in this eastern part of the country now we're located more in the middle and to the north in Kiev but there's a lot of uh, this conflict going on right now and so this is I'm just going to show you some of the pictures of what we do I'm teaching at the Kiev seminary and I get to teach a lot of the biblical languages courses uh, Hebrew and Greek and also different Bible books and theology oh after you've been someplace for 17 years you kind of do a lot of different things and so it's been just a joy to be able to do that. We graduated about 30 students this, uh, 30, 35 students this year. And I think when they started seminary four years ago, none of this was happening. And they had no idea what kind of ministry that they were going to be going into. But I think the Lord knew and was preparing them. And now they're going into ministry in a, in a country that is torn by war and conflict. Uh, some of our students... Uh, participate as chaplains and some as soldiers and so they will come to class and return to the, the different uh, the, to the conflict zone uh, everyone is touched by this nobody is untouched and the young woman on the left there is a mission student we also in addition to church planting and pastoral leadership youth ministry Christian education we also have a missions program people wanting to go from Ukraine to other places other countries and this is one of the reasons why I think Ukraine is significant. Ukraine is one of many of these countries in the former Soviet Union, and it's one of the easiest to get into, one of the easiest for Americans to get into. We went over there because we were invited, and we're very thankful and feel privileged to be there. Um, there are a lot of times I think I went over there as a teacher, but in so many ways I feel like I've learned so much more than I've given. Uh, I think a lot of missionaries could probably say that. But Ukrainians themselves are becoming a missionary force and they are able to go into different countries that Americans never will. We have some American friends who are missionaries first in Kazakhstan and then Uzbekistan and now they're in Turkey. They keep getting kicked out of places. Well Ukrainians can get into these places and it's not a problem. And so we're trying to think strategically and we're seeing the Lord really just do some amazing things. <clears throat> We also have biblical counseling, uh, and Brian can translate the Russian there. The <laughs> uh, and one of the interesting things that's been happening the last couple of years is the church has been trying to figure out what it means to be the church in Ukrainian society. For many, many years, the church has simply been in withdrawal mode. That is that we don't want any conflict with the government. Uh, it seems like in a lot of these totalitarian kinds of countries, the goal in relating to the government is simply to not be noticed. And right now, uh, with all the situation, the church has become more bold. And they're asking a lot of hard questions. Is it okay for a Christian to protest against the government? Is it okay for a Christian to serve in the army, to actually shoot a gun to try to kill somebody? What does the Bible say about that? Is that okay? For many years, the consensus in the church has been that it's a sin. It's wrong under no circumstances should a Christian ever go anywhere near the military. So we're asking these questions, and I've had several opportunities to actually go to different churches and in my classes to talk about these ideas and try to work through some biblical uh, understandings of these issues. 
We also serve uh, in a ministry for those with special needs at our church, for those that are members and also for those in the surrounding community. And uh, one of the things that we do is to have a church service every Sunday afternoon. And this, uh, I get to lead the music and occasionally preach. And the young man in the front there, uh, his name is Yura, and he often is up there helping me. Uh, he doesn't necessarily say a whole lot, but we're just always right there together. We would like to be able to have them in the, the regular worship service, but a number of them like to participate a little bit more in the service than probably what is appropriate in the normal worship service. And so Yura is up there standing with me, whether I'm singing or preaching, and Jania sometimes comes up and adds a little to the sermon. Uh, you know, so we just kind of go with the flow here. But it's one of the really important things that I'm trying to, I don't know, I not only believe it, but I also just want to model it with the students that we're engaged in serious study of the Bible. And whatever we do is for the church. Be involved in a local church ministry. Don't just stay with the books. We're trying to minister to everyone around. And whatever we do in seminary, it's not for ourselves, it's for the church. And uh, just really have been very thankful for the ministry that we've been able to have. This is uh, the team of folks that works uh, with those with special needs at our church. And I don't know if any of you have worked with uh, the Good Samaritan boxes, uh, put together boxes of different things that you send overseas. Well, thank you, because we are some of the ones that receive that. And it was kind of funny, uh, early on especially, we would have difficulty because we went to this church and we saw the boxes come in and we want to help pass them out, of course. And the people at the church always wanted to make sure that our kids got the boxes. And I said, no, no, they're not for us. We know, what the, we know what's in the boxes. We know what they're for. Don't give them to us. No, no, you have to have a box. So, okay, we'll take a box. <laughs> but, you know, you're just, they didn't want to make sure, they want to make sure that nobody was left out. And so we're very thankful for that. But anyway, just... Just to say, if you have worked on those before, understand that the boxes are getting to those who need them. And like I said, thank you. That's, I think it's a worthwhile thing. It's very helpful. Uh, so this is another picture of just the larger group there. And every summer we have a special camp for those with disabilities outside uh, of Kiev, about 45 minutes on this particular territory, and just a great time. They're going to be starting that camp, I think, probably in a week or two. And it'll be for two weeks. You can, uh, just in terms of a prayer request, pre please pray for them. Uh, there will be unbelievers coming, as well as those with just a variety of disabilities. And it's, it's an incredible time um, for them to be able to get out of the city, out of the, uh, their apartments. Uh, Kiev is still not built for those with disabilities. Uh, for those with special needs. The, we don't do a lot with ramps. Uh, there are stairs everywhere. It's very difficult, very challenging, and they just really enjoy being able to get into a place where that's more accommodating for what they're, they're doing. So we're very thankful for that. And uh, uh, our kids are, have been involved in different activities. Uh, this is uh, Mary is there kind of in the middle, our, our third child. She was involved in basketball, different things and uh, also in a play. Uh, they're just involved in uh, different activities at their school and Donna has had an incredible ministry uh, both with the kids in the school and also just in terms of discipleship and evangelism with uh, a number of different people. Our youngest daughter Abigail is uh, very musical so she participates in uh <laughs> the picture still there, sorry Donna. Um, uh, in our worship team at, at our church 
And like I said, Donna is involved also at the seminary in terms of uh, women's ministry there and helping to put together conferences for them. And so we're just very thankful for the different opportunities that we've had. Uh, that's another picture at the camp. Uh, these are different friends from the camp. And Donna was chosen to give an award uh, to different people. So, okay, just... These are some very special friends, Yura and Ala. Yura on the left is disabled. He has great difficulty walking, but is just an, an incredibly spiritually mature man. And the two of them together are involved in ministry in a, a village not too far from Kiev called Velika Dimarka. And they minister to those with special needs in that city. Uh, it's not very large, but it's just amazing the, the ministries that they have. And we are privileged to be able to go out and visit with them and minister with them. Um, so just exciting the different things that are going on there. And Mary graduated from high school this year. And uh, as Brian said, we're bringing her back this summer. That's one of the reasons, one of the purposes for this particular trip is to help her transition into college. So just thank you again for your participation with us uh, in ministry. That we have been selected by God. Not just Donna and I, but all of us, all of you. We have been selected by God, chosen by Him to go out into the world and to represent Him, to be ambassadors. And that's one of the themes that I wanted to talk about this morning, just in terms of the sermon. And how can I make that basically go away? <laughs> I don't know that you want to look at that the whole time. Of course, if you look at that, then you can see the two of them and not just me. That could be good. Not bad. I would like to talk this morning about... Uh, being the temple of the Holy Spirit. I think there are some ideas in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 <clears throat> that I think are really very relevant to this whole idea of what we're doing, to missions, to uh, being the temple of the Holy Spirit. In a sense, being one of the locations, and try to get with this idea, we'll talk about it more, being the temple of the Holy Spirit is, in a sense, being one of the locations where God manifests His presence on the earth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verses 19 and 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, when Paul calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit, I think one of the ideas that he's wanting us to see here is that we, in a sense, are one of the places where God manifests His presence on earth. And you might think that sounds kind of strange, and I would probably agree with you, and you might say it sounds like animism, like God's in the tree and God's in the chair. And I'm not talking about that. But rather, the Holy Spirit dwells in us in a special way and has a particular purpose. And therefore, our lives have a, tic a particular purpose. And it's just incredibly, incredibly easy to get mixed up about what that purpose is and how exactly this works, what our function is in society, what our function is in terms of just relating to one another. So I want to look at this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, <clears throat> whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So, just like so many things that Paul says, you can't read this fast. You've got to go slow. 
We've got to look at each individual phrase. There's just so much here. Uh, I was uh, thankful for the scripture reading, uh, Genesis chapter 12. Uh, I'm sure, Brian, you can, and others perhaps can say this. Over the years, your theology develops. You have a better understanding. And uh, I was so thankful to see Genesis chapter 12. Believe it or not, that has, been, that has become one of the key elements in my understanding of what's happening in the Bible. If you want to understand how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament, how the, it all fits together, what is the big picture? Study Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Uh, we needed to read the whole chapter, but boy, after reading 2 and 3, I wanted to say, oh, let's slow down. Go slow right there. That is so very important. And you may say, well, I don't get it. I don't see how it is. Keep going. That is what ties the whole Bible together. In a sense, that is where the plan of salvation is laid out. And we understand our purpose and function. And believe it or not, it's related to being the temple of the Holy Spirit. As you listen to those verses, Genesis 12, 2 and 3, there is a word that occurred a whole lot of times. Bless, bless, be a blessing, just over and over again. And what I usually explain to my students is that the Bible is one single book. There is one plan. God did not, as he was going through, try something and then say, oh man, this was a mess. Toss it all out and do something else. Go for a little while longer and say, well, that one flubbed up too. There's got to be something. You know, he's trying to figure it out. No, that's not what's happening. There is a consistent plan here. And what's happening in Genesis chapter 12, if you've ever, you can see this better, I think, if you've ever worked with a microscope. You remember when you have a microscope and you put the slide underneath? And when you first look through the little thing, what does it look like? It's all blurry. So what do you do? You turn the knobs and it becomes clearer. Well, I think in Genesis 12, God puts the slide under the microscope. And it's pretty blurry. We don't get a lot of details, but one big idea comes through. Blessing. I, cr I have chosen you to bless you and so that you can be a blessing so that all nations will be blessed through you. So God has a plan that through Abraham and through the Jewish people, do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 4? Salvation is from the Jews. And Jesus comes as the Messiah for the Jewish people in order to bless the whole world. So just a real quick picture there. Every, the plan is developing as we go through. It's not disjointed. It's not... Uh, unrelated. Everything, God knew exactly what he was doing. And so now in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20, he says here that don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now you have probably read the book of 1 Corinthians and as you know, your uh, uh, Paul has not had his coffee yet. I think probably is what's going on. I mean Galatians is even more brutal, but <laughs> in 1 Corinthians, Paul has a few things he's wanting to say. You know, sometimes you... Uh, when a pastor is getting ready to leave a church, you've got the suitcase up here on the stage and his final sermon, he says, there are a few things I've been meaning to say. And so, <laughs> but here's Paul. And you can basically divide the book of uh, 1 Corinthians into two parts. In chapters 1 through 6, he has heard some things about what's going on, that there is conflict, they're fighting with one another, uh, just... And also in chapter 5, there are church discipline issues that they're not handling the sin problem correctly. The leadership is not actively helping people move toward holiness. And we get toward the end of chapter 6 and we come to these verses. 
in chapter 7, if you'll notice in verse 1, he says, Now, for the things that you wrote about. So Paul had some things he wanted to say, and then for the second half of the book, he's going to respond to different questions they had, uh, different issues. And so in 7, the issue of marriage and divorce. and the In chapter 8, the issue of food sacrifice to idols. So Paul is kind of working with different things, but I think it's important to notice that the verses that I want to focus on come at the end of the section where Paul is stating some basic ideas. And so I think they're very important. They come at the conclusion of this part. Paul has talked about division. He's talked about ministry, so many other things. But bringing it to a close, he says, this is what I want you to know. All these different things, the conflicts, the crazy problems that are happening in your church, this is what you need to hear. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. All of these problems that are happening can be worked through if you will have a better understanding of this purpose. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So let's go slowly through this. Do you not know that your body is a temple? Or do, not know, do, do you not know that your body is a temple? In earlier in 1 Corinthians, uh, put the end too early there in the sentence, Earlier in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how that we as a church are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We collectively, all together. But this passage seems to be focusing on just the individual person. Each one of you is like a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now this idea of temple, what does this mean? This is a very religious term. But in many ways, it's a very unifying theme as you look through the whole Bible. I don't know if the name Greg Beal means anything to some of you. Uh, just incredible insights on the idea of the temple. As you go through, you understand that God is everywhere. Uh, we say that God is omnipresent. Therefore, there is nowhere where he is not. At the same time, God chooses to manifest himself. In a sense, localize the manifestation of his presence. That's a lot of big words. He chooses to manifest himself in certain places in certain ways. Remember the temple in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, and then Solomon's temple. How did you know when God was there, when he was manifesting his presence? You got the cloud on the building and the fire. Uh, you remember in, uh, when Moses is in front of the burning bush, God manifested his presence. And what happened to the surrounding area? God says, Moses, take off your shoes because the, the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. God is already everywhere, but in that particular situation, he chose to manifest his presence. Well, God has always had a temple. God has always had certain places and ways of manifesting his presence. And many people, when we study the, um, the book of Genesis, we actually see this even from the very beginning. What's fascinating, and I'll look at my watch, good, because uh, I'm enjoying this conversation. Well, converse monologue, I'd say. <laughs> These ideas are just so exciting to me, it's hard to, you, you'll need to start throwing something at me probably if I go too long. Uh, my students do that too. I warn them at the beginning, just, just wave your hand if it's time to go. Okay, we'll do that. Uh, in studying Genesis chapter 1, uh, different scholars have been studying the ancient historical context 
to Genesis chapter 1. So very often we're focused on the science questions that we don't stop and ask the question, and those are not bad, but we don't stop and ask the question, what were the original readers thinking? What were the issues? What were the problems? And what scholars have noticed as we study ancient Near Eastern literature is that uh, whether it's Israel, Babylon, or Egypt, that people built temples. They built temples. And when they would build a temple, they would dedicate the temple. And what's fascinating is that ceremony of dedication where they're putting together a temple and they will worship in that temple, do those different things, the ceremony of dedication very often in an ancient Near Eastern context, context would last about seven days. And each day, on each day, they would talk about different parts of the temple. The furniture, the walls, the territory, the land around. And they would dedicate each of those parts. Toward the end of the week, what would they do? They would put an image of the God into the temple to physically represent the presence of the God in that temple. And then on the last day, it said that the God would come into the temple, manifest his presence, and we see this in the Old Testament, but it was an idea that was related also to the surrounding countries. Obviously, our God is different, but in terms of the way the culture worked, there were similarities the God would come into the temple and begin to reign over the territory. And so from the temple, it's as if that is the palace of God. And if you've studied Hebrew very much, you quickly come to understand that the word for temple and palace is the same word. So kind of a fascinating idea. The temple is the palace for the God. And he begins to reign over the territory. Now when the God comes to the temple to begin to reign, that is referred to as the God has come to rest. The God has come to rest. And so uh, in addition to the creation of the world, which we believe, in a sense Moses has told us the story like a temple dedication that God has now come to reign and reigns over the universe. And so just these different cultural clues that I don't know that I ever saw before. And so there's a sense in which the whole universe is like a temple in which God has come to reign. You know we talk about the land of promise, the land of rest uh, for the, the Jews left Egypt and were going to the promised land. It was a land of rest well, when we talk about a land of rest, it's not that they all wanted to go there to sit in lawn chairs. They wanted to live. To rest means you finally quit wandering around, you settle down, and you live. And I think that's what's happening in the biblical text. And then on the planet, our planet itself, God planted a garden. And many, once again, many biblical scholars have noticed that the way Moses talks about that garden, he uses language in a way that is similar to how later they describe the temple. That Adam and Eve were put into the garden to serve and to work and to care for the garden. Words that are used of the priests later. And so this idea of a special place and God throughout the Bible has this special place. The basic idea is a temple. And the basic idea of a temple is it's a, a place on earth, a local physical manifestation of the presence of God. 
that you can basically see God at work. And so when we talk here in 1 Corinthians 6 in verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple? What he's saying is that in the Old Testament there was a physical building. But something has changed. And in the Gospel of John, we get this very strong idea that Jesus is the temple. Jesus replaces the physical temple in Jerusalem. John points to this in John chapter 2. And now because we are a part of Christ, we become one with Christ. We are a part of his body. And what is a body? It's the physical part of the whole person. We are the body of Christ. We are his ambassadors. We are his temple. We become the physical representation or the physical place on earth where God manifests his presence. And so he says here, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it is amazing. Uh, he, uh, read this verse again slowly. What else could he have said here? Do you not know that your heart is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your mind is a temple of the Holy Spirit? He didn't say that. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? He could have said heart, and that would have made sense. Now, understand this. I'm not saying that your heart is not a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying your mind is not a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's simply that as Paul was writing this, he put an emphasis on the body. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And once again, we see the, the physical nature of the ministry that God has for us. It's physical. I think a lot of times because we want to uh, get away from the ceremonial aspects of Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. Boy, we got a lot of Eastern Orthodox in Ukraine. We want to make sure that we're not getting into the just being religious that unfortunately I think we interpret that as getting away from the physical. And so the point of very often of an evangelical service is that it's all in our heads <laughs> and all in our hearts. We don't want to do anything physical. Uh, you know. Um, but I think even as we read in the New Testament, the body is involved in worship. What, is, what does 1 Corinthians 5 say? May, may you be sanctified, spirit, soul, and body. Sanctification is not simply our minds. It's not simply... Our hearts, it's not simply what's inside of us, but the body is sanctified. What is 1 Corinthians 9 talks about Paul saying, I sometimes have to whip my body into line to make sure that I'm following the Lord. Our bodies are a part of what it means to follow the Lord. And in this passage, Paul is emphasizing the physicality of how God manifests himself on earth. It's not simply what's going on in your mind or your heart. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Who is in you? What do we need to make of this phrase? Um, we just said a little bit earlier that God is everywhere. And so how significant is it to say that God is in us? Uh, one question that I ask my students, I'll say, uh, do you believe that God lives inside unbelievers? Do you believe that God lives inside unbelievers? And they kind of look at me strange. And I say, no, no, of course not. He lives inside believers, not inside of unbelievers. And I, I say, well, wait a second. 
we, if we say that God is everywhere, then he also lives inside unbelievers. And I think about it for a minute. Yeah, okay. So what's the difference? How do we talk about this? How do we think about this? This is the, this is the challenging part of theology is putting it all together into one picture. Well, unbelievers could not continue to exist if God was not holding them together. What does Paul say? In him we live and move and have our being. So even unbelievers have the Holy Spirit. What's the difference between us and them? With unbelievers, it is a relationship of hostility. With us, the Bible uses the language of dwelling and living inside of us because we receive the Holy Spirit. We are believers. So it's not, even though there is friction sometimes, more probably than uh, there ought to be, but there's not the level of hostility that you're going to have with an unbeliever. Um, you simply can't have a place where God is not. God is everywhere. And so one of my favorite passages is Genesis 11. If you remember, I guess you guys would have read that last week. Uh, in terms of the Tower of Babel, what happens at the beginning of that story? God is in heaven, the people are on earth, and God looks down and says, they're stirring up a lot of dust down there. Let's go down and see what they're doing. <laughs> well, the thing is, God was already down there in the place that he went to and he never left the place where he went away from. Because he's everywhere. He's bigger than the universe and so if God moved, how would you know? <laughs> God is everywhere. And so just like when we say the eyes of the Lord, you know, roam to and fro throughout the earth or the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, we say that those are physical representations to talk about God who is a spirit. But he doesn't have eyes, he doesn't have arms. And when we talk about God is a bird, how, you know, loves to gather his, chi you know, his chicks in, he's not a chicken. It's not, these are metaphors that we use. And so in the same way, motion, God moving, what we're talking about is God is acting. He's acting. It's not so much about location. And so when we say that God dwells in us, we're temples of the Holy Spirit, God is, is in us, and it's a relationship of rest. It's a relationship of peace with believers. Oh, I'm sorry, with unbelievers. The Holy Spirit is there. God is there. But it, unfortunately, is a relationship of hostility. And a lot of times, unbelievers are not even aware that God is there. We know that any good thing that an unbeliever receives is from God by grace. But unbelievers are unaware, ungrateful, don't even see what's happening. We see the sunshine, we see the good weather, we see blessings, and we know where they come from. But for them, they're completely oblivious. They don't receive this blessing as from the Lord. And so, when it says, who is in you, we're not simply talking about location. We're talking about relationship. He is in us. It is a relationship of peace. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? The physicality. And God is with us in a relationship. Whom you have received from God. And so God gives us this. It comes from Him. And it's a calling. And then He makes another statement that is rather offensive as an American. You are not your own. You are not your own. <clears throat> well, I don't like that. <laughs> I 
I want for things to be my own. I think there's a, a popular song now that doesn't have to be all bad and you hate to tend something, but this is my song, my fight song, right? My take back my life song. I don't care what anybody else thinks or does. I want control. Well, I can understand perhaps a context in which that is good, not necessarily bad, but you can also take it in the sense that I am the captain of my destiny. I am the master of my fate. I'm the one who controls me. And as Christians, God says, no, no, you're missing the point. So very often we look at our lives and how do we think about our lives? Our lives are a story. And who is the hero of the story? Well, it's me. I'm the hero. <laughs> it's my life. It's my life, so I'm the hero. And I look at the stages of my life as a progression in a plot, and I hope there's a happy ending. I want everything to turn out well for me and my story, because I'm the hero. But what God tells us, and part of the reason for the scripture is there is a story and you're a part of it. But I have some bad news. You're not the hero. <laughs> you are a part of the story. And you play a part and you come into the story and you go out of the story. But you're not the hero. Now I want to be the hero and I want everybody, I want, I want my life to turn out well. I want to succeed. I want it to, everything to come together. But God says, well, some people end their lives and there is material, physical health blessings for other people not. But that's not the important thing. The hero of the story is Jesus. And it is our privilege to be a part of his story and to honor him. But this is rather offensive to who we are as Americans. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now this is what I wanted to talk about a little bit more. Why is it difficult to understand this idea of being the temple of the Holy Spirit? What is happening with this idea? And this is where I would like to get a little more practical. We've looked at some of the theological ideas and the biblical ideas of what it means to be a temple. And the basic idea, as I said, is that we are a physical location, as it were, on earth where God manifests his presence in a unique and different way. That may be a different way of looking at it, so you may be a little uncomfortable with that. But as I, I usually say, I would much rather have people upset with me when I preach than fall asleep. So if all of you are awake, I feel like there's a relative amount of success. If you come up afterward and say, I have a problem with what you said, that will actually interest me a great deal. Because these are ideas that I just have studied a lot and thought about a lot, and I'm not at the end. I don't know everything. And so just think about these ideas. Think about the idea of temple and what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. I think there's so much there. But unfortunately, and I know this because I grew up in the church, a lot of times these words and phrases just sort of wash over you. You're all the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the body of Christ. Amen. Have no idea what we're talking about. But it sounds good and it rhymes in the song, so, you know... <laughs> You know, but we read things in the Bible, and I think a lot of times the Bible is intended to shock you. And Balaam rode down the road, and all of a sudden his donkey started talking to him, and they had an argument. Then an angel appeared. Amen. <laughs> no, you're supposed to get upset. You're supposed to say, donkeys don't talk. What is happening here? This, this is crazy. 
But sometimes we're too spiritual. We don't, we don't want to show that you're actually thinking, this is nuts. <laughs> you're wanting to be spiritual, so you just let it pass over you. Amen. Well, no, I think the Bible writers sometimes write in because they want you to be shocked. They want you to say, this is crazy. That's not a bad reaction. Just go deeper and understand what is happening in the text. And so your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Jesus came. God saw the world lost in sin and God moved into that world and offered himself. Christ died for our sins, the heart of the gospel. Uh, one of the differences between Christian faith and something like Islam is that God did not stay far away. God came to be one of us, to walk with us and to give his life for our salvation. Now what does that do for us? I mentioned blessing a little while ago in Genesis chapter 12. And it is very interesting. Let me just read this one verse in Galatians chapter 3 to tie together Abraham, the Holy Spirit, and blessing. Just to show you that this is a bigger idea than what you may imagine. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14. It's talking about Christ redeeming us. Galatians 3.14 He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, and that's most of us, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You see, what's happening now is a part of the promise that was given to Abraham. Now you say, I don't see all that in, uh, in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Well, it's because it was a little blurry. <laughs> it was a little blurry, but it was all there. And just through the course of the Bible, he was bringing things into greater focus so that now we understand what that blessing was. But it was there. God didn't change his plan. He didn't have to salvage the operation. And so now, what does this mean for us? Well, I, I want to go back to the idea of blessing. And especially about me and my life and being the hero of my story. <laughs> um, very often when we talk about the gospel the benefit of being a Christian. There is peace. If you want to have a good family, become a Christian. If you want to get your life straightened out, become a Christian. Part of the difficulty with that idea is that when we talk about being a Christian in that way, we confuse the purpose with the benefits. But those two are not the same thing. There are benefits to being a Christian. But don't ever get that confused with the actual purpose. The purpose of you being the temple of the Holy Spirit is not to make you happy. It's not so that you can have a wonderful life. That's not what it's about. That may be some of the benefits, but I can tell you story after story where that has not been the way it turned out. And so what happened? Did God fail? But we have the idea of the American dream. <laughs> the American dream is that I grow up, go to school, and get a job, and get a house, get a better job, get a better house, better job, better house, connections, all these different kinds of things. Everything turns out wonderful, and I retire, and all my children and grandchildren love me, and a place in the community, 
And that is how things turn out well. Well, if that is your life, great. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't recognize that life personally. I have no experience with that. Uh, some people do, praise the Lord. But so often, even in the church, that is how we measure success. But think about Paul's life. Paul was a Pharisee. He had status, probably money. When there was a problem in the Pharisee community, you call Paul. So when the Christians are acting up, you send Paul to take care of the problem. Paul is your guy. He's the one you go to. And Jesus, on, as Paul is getting there, Jesus knocks him off his horse and says, I have a different plan for your life. And Paul begins to follow Christ. And what happens to his career after that? Multiple times in prison. He goes to places and people throw rocks at him. He's thrown out of town and finally toward the end of his life he writes a letter saying in a few days they're going to kill me. And what is Paul's response to this? I made it. I made it. I kept the faith. No, Paul, you're a failure. All your in and out of prison, people throwing rocks at you, and now they're going to kill you? Where are the grandkids? Where's the big house? Where's the everything coming together for everybody to see how wonderful you are? Nope, they killed him. Well, if, you, if your goal is to have the American dream, then Paul failed. If his goal was be, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, he succeeded. But it's so easy for us to get into this trap. When we talk about prayer, what do you pray for? What do you pray for? If we were to just take a time out and take prayer requests. Listen to the language that we often use. I'm struggling right now. I have a problem. I've got an illness. I've got a relative. I've got a job situation. Different things. I'm just praying the Lord would help me get through this. And when you come out on the other side, we all know what that means. We come and thank the Lord that we made it. We made it through. What does making it through mean? Well, if it's an illness or some kind of difficulty, it means we came out on the other side and we're still financially solvent. <laughs> we still have some money. We were able to pay the bills. Our health is back intact. And life is now beginning to normalize again. That's what making it means. And if that doesn't happen, it means we didn't make it. Well, that language of making it in that way is still based on the American dream idea. That the goal is to be healthy, wealthy, all these different kinds of things. So what is the goal as we go through different problems? <clears throat> the big idea is that God has chosen you to manifest his presence on earth. And what does that look like? Well... Uh, it's interesting. It seems like the Bible is talking about this big idea, but uses different metaphors. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Character, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, and self-control. When the Holy Spirit is within you, the fruit that he bears coming out of you, the way that he manifests his presence in your life is not in terms of a pillar of fire and the cloud and the, you know, all the stuff like that. It's in the godly character. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. So here's a different way of looking at prayer. It's a different way of looking at conflict and suffering and difficulty, illness. What does making it look like? It means that when I was perfectly healthy and all of a sudden I had cancer and it seemed like everything was going crazy. To make it through means that I still felt the peace of God. I still was able to freely love those around me. Sometimes when people get sick, what do they do? Everything turns inward. Everything now is about me. But I was able still to freely love those around me even though I was hurting, even though I was suffering. Goodness was still a part of my life. God manifested his joy in my life. Making it has to do with continuing to be the temple of the Holy Spirit even though your circumstances change. That's what making it means. And so when Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer, yes, the, the prayer, the request, give us this day our daily bread is a part of it, but it's not the first commandment and it's not the most important commandment. The most important commandment, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, let your name be holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. God, manifest your presence through me. And when my circumstances change, I'm no longer the happy, healthy, handsome person that I've always been. But now I'm the cancer person. I'm the whatever, the, the unemployed person. You see how your identity changes? A lot of times we base our identity on our crises and catastrophes. Instead, what we need to do is have a permanent identity. Whether I am healthy, wealthy, all of these things, or that family that has that stuff going on, my basic identity as the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where God manifests His presence on earth, displaying His glory with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of these things, that doesn't change. The circumstances change, but my basic fundamental identity, my basic function, the meaning of my existence on this planet does not change. But this is a different way of looking at things. We have to redefine what it means to make it, to be okay, to be successful. Uh, we've had a lot of different things going in our, on in our family this summer, things that we didn't expect. Our kids are having difficulty transitioning back to the States and coming to grips with what it means to be a missionary kid. Uh, and I think, oh boy, <clears throat> how are we going to do this? How are we going to make it? And I tend to want to say that my definition of making it is for them to be happy and wonderful and for us to get to go back to the field. <laughs> And that's the plan. But I never know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I'm, re I'm realizing that in my own life, I am defining making it in ways that are not the same as God's definition. And that's been a difficult discovery. Because I don't like it when people look at me as one of those people. That family that's going through that. Or that family that has this going on. Oh, you want to be careful around that. Don't talk about them. 
but my fundamental identity is not in my success according to some external standard. God has a purpose. He chose me for a purpose. To be one of the places on earth where he manifests his presence. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. We're not the heart of Christ. We're not the soul of Christ. The mind of Christ. The body emphasizes the physicality. The physicality of all this. And God wants a wide diversity of people. The thing is he doesn't want us to be the same. It's in our differences that God is able to be glorified as the same love, the same joy, the same peace, the same patience is demonstrated in a variety of different circumstances. Sometimes people get bitter that they were not chosen to be the particular person who is lavishly wealthy and <laughs> all of those. Oh man, why did I get this particular way of glorifying God? Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, I'm not in charge of that. <laughs> God is. And the thing is, God loves you in spite of the particular circumstance that he is leading you to. But a lot of times it is those most difficult of circumstances that are the greatest honor. And we need to see them that way. We as a church need to be careful how we look at one another. When we look at one another and everything is going well, we assume, wow, God is really blessing you. If you've got disease or conflict or whatever, we say, oh boy, that's really hard. Why don't we say God is blessing you? Why don't we say what a, an incredible opportunity for God to manifest his presence, his love, his joy, his peace in miraculous ways. Because when you see a person suffering, to see them express love and patience and joy, it's a miracle. Well, that's God's purpose. I hope that you can think about your life. Think about what it is that's going on in your life. Who are you? Who are you? How do you see your identity? Oh, I'm the such and such a person. I'm the cancer person. I'm the, the this disease person. This situation person. That's my identity. No, try to look at yourself in a different way in all of those circumstances. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in this complicated circumstance for which I have very few answers and little understanding, God wants to show his love through me, to me certainly, but through me to those around me. Well, you might say, that's hard. Well, fortunately, God didn't decide to leave it to you. <laughs> We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, not the temple of good intentions. We're the temple of God, not the temple of moral work and striving and trying to do this correctly. The Holy Spirit manifests himself through us. I hope that this is an encouragement and perhaps a, just a different way of looking at things. When you pray, pray first of all and most of all, Lord, in the midst of the things that I'm about ready to pull my hair out over and scream that, I can't, and that I'm still, though, not even comfortable talking about with other people. Please manifest your character through me in this situation. Let that be the focus of your prayers. Now, pray for healing, of course. Pray that God will feed uh, give us this day our daily bread. That's a part of the request, but it's not the first one. Well, thank the Lord for the gift 
of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. Would you stand as we continue in worship this morning?